tend to care about how we look. Um, collagen and liposuction are just two ways that, uh, that, that, that people uh, could try to do whatever they can to look better in the mirror, right? And, and even if you don't go to those extremes, uh, most people at least bathe, right? Okay, good. Um, run a comb through their hair, uh, brush your teeth, uh, wear clean clothes. We go on diets, we wear makeup, we use creams and hair dyes and all sorts of concoctions so that we like what we see in the mirror. Uh, uh, today, I, I don't want to discuss uh, beauty tips or seven secrets to a skinnier you or whatever, uh, but I do want to tackle what we look like in the mirror spiritually. Uh, this month we've been getting a little more specific in, in knowing why we're here as a church and, uh, and individually, uh, in our personal lives. Uh, I've been telling you, uh, for, for a while now, our new mission statement as a church, uh, we live to love people to life. Uh, last week I had you say it, uh, this week I'm gonna have you say it again. Turn to someone, or actually just say it to me first. We live to love people to life. There was actually a little bit of meaning in that. That was good, a little feeling. Now turn to someone next to you and say, I live to love people to life. No, I meant Pastor Pete lived. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, just kidding. We live to love people to life. So uh, we, there, there's a lot packed into that. Uh, we'll just walk through it again. Uh, we means that this is all of us together as well as each of us individually. Uh, it's it, it, uh, We live to do this means it's what gets us out of bed every day. Um, we're loving people, so there's a relationship aspect to this. We, we love people not just here in, in this place, uh, within the church, but also outside the church. Uh, it's, it's all about that relational aspect. And, but, and so we're living them, but with a, we're loving them, but with a purpose, uh, love them to life. Uh, this life is the abundant life that Jesus talks about a couple of weeks ago on Easter Sunday. We, we spent a lot of time talking about that abundant life, more and better life than we've ever, uh, we could ever dream about. Uh, this is, this is the life that we have when Jesus, when we follow Jesus. So we're, we're, we're doing, I, I guess a, another way to say it is, we're doing all that we can to build deep relationships with people to help them build a deep relationship with God. We live to love people to life. We're building relationships with people, uh, both inside and outside of the church, to help them uh, build a relationship with God. So then there's this, uh, there's ins- this insert in your bulletin and you had it last week and you'll have it next week and, and we're gonna have a quiz later to see whether you've memorized it or not. Just kidding, you won't have a, a quiz. But, uh, we've, we've talked about not just that mission statement at the top, we live to love people to life, but how does that play out? Uh, we've, we've talked about why that's important and so we've listed some things that we value. Uh, we talk about, uh, strategy, how we're going to make that happen. That's at the, the bottom there, the strategy of how that kind of looks as we live that out in our, in our church and through our ministries. And, and then we also, the, the, the spot there in the, toward the middle is our measures. And that's, well, how do we know if this is working? How do we know if, if we're really accomplishing this, if, if we are uh, living uh, this abundant life and helping others to do the same? So, so in order to familiarize ourselves with this, I'm kind of using that list of those five questions, the measures, as the, the, the base of, uh, of, of uh, the Sunday sermons to, uh, to, to kind of help 
help flesh this out. And so there's five simple questions there that we can ask ourselves on a regular basis, maybe even a daily basis, maybe even multiple times a day. And as we ask ourselves these things, those questions will help guide us to uh, to live this life that God desires for us. And so last week we looked at the first two together. They're, they're both relationship issues relating to a, mainly to our relationship with God. Uh, have I met with God today? And uh, am I trusting and obeying God in everything? Those are those are key questions to ask. And, and we use the, the metaphor from John 15 of the vine and the branches. And, and we need to have that connection with Jesus, that connection in the vine, uh, meeting with him every day and, and trusting him and obeying him. And as we do that, uh, God promises that we will bear fruit, much fruit, uh, everlasting, eternal fruit, fruit that will last. And, and, and so those, uh, those questions are, are vital. The next question on the list and where we're going to, going to kind of spend some time today and not talk about liposuction anymore. And that is, do I see Jesus in the mirror? Uh, in other words, uh, am I becoming more like Jesus? It's just a kind of a fun way to say that, I guess. Is, is, is my character changing to be more and more godly? Uh, what, what about the, the words that I say or, or uh, the, my anger or my irritability or my love for people or, or, or my, my habits? Or uh, am I filled with joy and peace? Uh, I guess it's not so much about what we look like, uh, you know, just that word picture of, of seeing Jesus in the mirror, but it's about who we are are and who we are becoming. Am I becoming more like Jesus? Do I see Jesus forming in me? It seems more and more popular these days to, um, to go through uh, and search out our ancestry. Um, my dad spent years uh, going through the whole genealogical stuff, right, and researching, and, and he went to uh, cemeteries on the backside of some hill, you know, somewhere, and, and etchings, and, and I remember he wrote uh, uh, a letter to a church in Germany uh, in German, and they replied back in German with uh, some of this stuff about the members and a family and the, you know, and, and he's got, we, 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 uh, he gave everybody uh, a, a booklet, uh, tracing people back, uh, all the way back, uh, and, and literally, I, uh, our family, my, through my, through my dad's side of the family there, we, we can trace ourselves all the way back to, uh, to William Bradford on the Mayflower. Here's a picture of us together. Um, <laughs> he's the kind of metal looking guy, kind of stoic, um, but we're, yeah, I don't know if you see the family resemblance or not, but, um, Nowadays, you can you can trace your uh, uh, your your family back not just along genealogical lines, but uh, but but also uh, this whole DNA thing, right? And you got the the DNA test, and some of you may have done this. I don't know. You you uh, you, you get the the kit in the mail, and and uh, you, you send it away. Uh, AncestryDNA.com uh, promotes it this way. They say on their website, from discovering their ethnicity to connecting with distant relatives, the largest DNA network in the world is helping more people find the singular story in their DNA. Yours is just as unique, revealing traces of your family history, who your ancestors were, and where they came from. So maybe you've done that. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing what science can do these days. And, uh, of course, they've been using DNA testing for years in, uh, in, in uh, law enforcement and things, finding out who a person truly is and, and what they may or may not have done. We can, we can uh, uh, raise up suspects or eliminate suspects, uh, depending on their DNA. Um, there was a, uh, uh, 
the, the children of a, of a rather prominent family decided they were going to give their father a, a, a special gift for his, uh, for his upcoming birthday. And so they, they wanted to give him a, a, a kind of a biography of their family's history. And so they commissioned a professional biographer to write the book, and, and they were talking about all the family stories and all these things, and, and they said, but you probably want to not mention our, uh, our, our great uncle George. Kind of the push to the side of the family. We don't talk about Uncle George. Uh, he was, uh, he, he was executed in the electric chair for murder. And, uh, we, we don't really want that in this. We don't want to highlight that in this book. So let's just leave him out. And the biographer said, no, no, we can, we can include Uncle George in the book. I, I can report the situation in a way that there won't be any embarrassment at all. Uh, I'll merely write that, that Uncle George occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution. He was attached to his position by the strongest ties, and his death came as a real shock. So maybe in, in writing biographies, authors can disguise who a person is or, or make them, put them in a better light or, or not. DNA, though, uh, tells, uh, tells the truth, tells who someone really is. And I don't understand all the science behind it, but I do know that it's the genetic blueprint for each person and it determines every characteristic of, 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 of who we are and what, what makes us up uh, physically. Uh, because of DNA testing, we're able to, to, to tell who a person truly is, no matter what we pretend to be or, or, or what we think we are or what someone else thinks we are. DNA tells who we really are. And so I guess today, rather than the whole mirror uh, uh Concept, although I think that's a, a great question to ask, but really we're not just talking about on the surface, do I, uh, do I look like a, a middle-aged, Middle Eastern man with a beard? That's not what we're talking about when, we see, when I see Jesus in the mirror. We're not talking about physical characteristics. It's, it, it's more looking into our spiritual DNA. Who I am on the inside. Uh, is my character becoming more like God? See, something supernatural happens when we choose to take God up on his offer of forgiveness and, and we're given a new life and, and we're literally uh, called children of God. Uh, our DNA, our, our character changes. And so the goal is that throughout our lives, uh, we're becoming more and more like him, that, that our character uh, becomes less and less like, uh, like us and more and more like Jesus. We become more and more holy. So if we're living the abundant life that God wants us to live, that's a holy life. God's holy character will develop in us. Unfortunately, not everyone lives like that. It's been said that some Christians spend the first six days of each week sowing their wild oats, and then they go to church on Sunday praying for a crop failure. Uh, but abundant life with God isn't a life where we're just doing whatever we want throughout the week and then trying to make things right on Sunday. Uh, it's a holy life, and anything less falls short of God's best for us. So today, I, I want us to to, to look at uh, one of the letters toward the end of the New Testament. It's, it was written from by uh, by Peter. Uh, we look at at First Peter chapter one, uh, where where the Apostle Peter, you know, one of Jesus' main uh, followers, um, and and he walked with with Jesus and and had personal conversation and saw that, and and he wrote this letter, and he's writing it to to Jews, uh, and and so these are these are uh, the Jewish people who have uh, an ancestry. Uh, 
uh, clear back uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, they've been the people of God, the chosen people. They're the ones with the law. They're the ones who've been following the law, and, and, and they've been, been doing all these things. And now Peter's writing to say, see, Jesus fills in all of that. And he's the answer to all of that. Uh, and it's possible to not just worry about all these laws and things, and but it's possible to really be holy. Uh, so I want us to, to, to look at, at a few verses here in 1 Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, it says, What a God we have. I'll be reading from the message. Oh, what a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him, this father of our master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven, and that future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. We'll, we'll pause right there. I, I wanted to, to read that part to, for you to see that, that overflowing joy of this, this, this amazing life that comes uh, from Jesus. As we, we talked about it, John 10.10, Jesus says that it's, it's abundant life. Peter's just uh, elaborating on that, and he says it's brand new life. We have everything to live for. It's life healed and whole. It's, uh, we have a future in heaven. Uh, that's what we live for. Uh, we, we, are, we are living to not only experience Experience that life for ourselves, but to help other people do it. We live to love people to life. Peter's saying, yeah, that's what we do. So, we jump down to verse 13. He says, so, because of all this life stuff, because of all this great stuff Jesus has given for us, roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then. You do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I'm holy. You be holy. You call out to God for help, and he helps. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father and won't let you get by with sloppy living. Your life is a journey you must travel with a deep consciousness of God. It cost God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished, sacrificial lamb. So Peter's saying, we got this amazing, abundant, awesome life to live because Jesus has provided it for us, so... We need to live holy lives. We need to be holy just like God is holy. He's he's actually quoting Leviticus. Anybody do their devotions in Leviticus this morning like I did? I'm actually reading through the Old Testament and I'm mired in Leviticus right now and it's kind of slogging through. I just have to be honest. I'm just testifying, just trying to be... But, uh, but, but in Leviticus, several different times, uh, 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 God says, be holy because I am holy. You're my people. I'm holy. You need to be holy. So I guess I have to ask, well, why, why would God say that? Why would Peter repeat it? Why should we be holy? I mean, what's the big deal? Uh, I, being forgiven is certainly a great thing. It's an amazing thing. Isn't that enough? Doesn't God love me just the way I am? Why can't I just stay this way and just be forgiven but still keep living my way? Well, God loves you enough that he doesn't want you to leave. He doesn't want to leave you in that dead-end life. There are several reasons, um, and 
Man, there's blanks to fill in, so we better get to it. Uh, why should we be holy? Well, the first one is really obvious. Be holy because I am holy. Uh, be holy because God is. Uh, it, it, it's right there in black and white. God is holy. It's his character. It's his DNA. It's who he is. The primary reason for us to be holy is because our DNA should match the, the DNA of our Heavenly Father. We should be holy because we're part of God's family. It's who we are and we're representing him to the world. When people encounter us, they're supposed to get a glimpse of Jesus. Because we can see Jesus in the mirror because our DNA has changed because we are, we are God's children. This was a problem all through the Old Testament. The Israelites uh, had a hard time doing this, and, and they kept uh, going away from God and following other gods and all these kinds of things. But, but God's, God's uh, command to be holy uh, was, was uh, primarily so that they would represent him well in the world. But they, they didn't. Uh, we see it over and over again. One, one key place where we see it is Ezekiel chapter 36. I want us to read just a few verses from there where God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to these people who have profaned his name. He says, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through uh, uh, through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The people had sinned and they were causing other nations to to actually profane God because they were looking at them and well these are God's chosen people and, uh, and, and they're acting like this well God must be like that because his people are acting like that and and They were getting a a twisted view of who God was because his people, his children, were not representing him well in the world. So here's here's another question to add to the list of five, I guess. If someone's only encounter with God was to see him in you, what would they think God is like? If someone's only encounter with God was what they see in you, what would they think God is like? That's one you could kind of uh, spend a little bit of time on. Be holy, because God is holy. A couple other reasons to be holy. Uh, number two is that uh, J- Jesus died and was raised. And we see that uh, sprinkled throughout this passage. The, the only reason that it's possible for us to be holy is because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Our holiness has come at a high price. We should be so wrapped up in Jesus and what he has done for us that, that the life that, that, that he and uh, all of that, that he's done and the life that he's made possible for us, we should just be stepping into that and living it out because it came at such a high price. It's, it's so precious and valuable. We can't help but live for him because of all that he's done for us. Be holy because of the high price that's been paid. Number three, be holy because Jesus is coming again. Uh, Jesus is coming to take us to heaven and will be judged by how we've lived. Uh, verse 17 in the message we read, God won't let you get by with sloppy living. Uh, in the New Living Translation, it says, God will judge or reward you according to what you do. In other words, it matters how we live. 
So sloppy, lazy living, making bad choices without taking Jesus' sacrifice or his return into account will be judged. 2 Corinthians 5.10 puts it this way, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We will be judged first and foremost on what we've done with Jesus. And, And that determines our salvation. We don't earn that. We don't deserve that based on doing good things. But Christians will then also be judged for how we've lived our lives. The choices that we've made, the the habits that we've had, the, the lifestyles that we've lived, the opportunities that we've taken advantage of, the opportunities that we've missed. Have we been the holy representatives of God that he desires us to have been? Be holy because God is and you are representing him. Be holy because that holiness was bought at a high price, Jesus' death. Be holy because there will be a judgment day and we will answer for the lives that we've lived. So that's why we need to be holy. But what does it really mean to be holy? Well, we could spend the next uh, couple of Years talking about that, I guess. But uh, I, I want us to, to drill down on that a little bit this morning so, so that we kind of get a concept of, of it. The, the technical definition of, of holiness, uh, uh, if, if you go back to the original language, it's, it's, uh, you, could, you could define it as to set apart, to be set apart. It's, it's, it's kind of like the word special, so to speak. We, we might use it in that way. Think of it as the good china that's in your cabinet that you probably pulled out maybe at Easter for Easter dinner, or maybe you use it at Christmas, or, or maybe some special family gathering sometime. But most of the time, it stays uh, put away because it's the good china in the good cabinet that, that only gets used for the good things. Uh, uh, it's, it's set apart. It's special. And so in that sense, uh, we, again, I could, I, I, and I have preached about how holiness is, is the fact that we are set apart uh, for a purpose. We are set apart for, for, uh, for, for honoring God, and, and so he makes us holy. Peter, however, doesn't just have that in mind, it doesn't appear here, not just that, that, that we're special or set apart for, for a purpose, but in fact, it actually appears that he's, he's talking about holiness as it relates to obedience. Uh, verse 14 and following, he talks about being obedient children. Uh, he says, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. This says that our holiness is supposed to look like uh, uh, children who are obeying their parents. There's there's an outward component to that and there's an inward component to obedience. Uh, Children can obey their parents because they're afraid of the consequences, right? And and that's okay. Little, Little healthy fear is good to instill in a child, right? Um, uh, we, but, but sometimes the only reason that the child does the right thing is because they're afraid that maybe of, of the consequences that might come. And, and so, so they're going along with what mom and dad say because they want to avoid punishment. I, that's better than, than disobedience for sure, but it's, it's an outer obedience and, and, and really it's, it's a selfish obedience. I'm only obeying so that things go well for me, Right. But ideally, we want our kids to obey uh, based on a desire for a good relationship with us. We want them to, to trust us, 
to know that that we have their best interest at heart and, and that by obeying, whether they agree completely or not, by obeying, they are honoring the relationship. They are honoring us as parents. They, they're, uh, they're, they're submitting to authority and it's an inward uh, change of heart, so to speak, a desire for a good relationship. Uh, Peter uses the term there uh, in reverent fear. Um, and again, it's it's that that sense of of reverence and and honor and respect. So as Peter's talking about holiness here, in God's desire for us to be holy, to have His character develop in us, so that we see Jesus in the mirror, it's 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 uh, talking about a spirit of humility and submission to the will and purposes of God. By, by using that metaphor of an obedient child, Peter's saying that, that holiness is rooted in that honoring, submitted relationship with God. You will not see Jesus in the mirror if you are rebelling against him. You will not see Jesus in the mirror if you're only following a list of rules and resenting it every step of the way. You will not see God's DNA being developed in your life if you're resisting him and wanting to do your own thing. We obey God, not out of selfishness, not so that he'll bless us. We obey him because we love him, because we respect him, and because we honor him. Because God has undisputed first place in our lives. So what we do uh, is, is what he wants us to do as obedient children. So holiness is less about a list of rules or behaviors. And it's... Uh, it's more about an issue of the heart, a deep desire to love and please our Heavenly Father. Since holiness or being holy can be seen in outward uh, actions and activities and, and measures, uh, the church, Big C, uh, throughout church history uh, has, has always seemed to come up with a list of do's and don'ts primarily don'ts, I think, right, that uh, that have defined holiness, so to speak. Well, we don't do this, we don't do this, we don't do this, we don't do this. Oh, and we certainly don't do that. And uh, we don't do, and and the list, uh, over time, you know, the lists kind of change depending on the culture and the place and the problems that are at hand. But but we've we've been real good at coming out with these outward lists. And many of those lists have great things on them, and we shouldn't be doing this, 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 and we should be doing this, this, this. Uh, but, uh, and they, they, they help us to avoid sinful behavior, and, but they can turn into just outer behavior without inner heart change. That holiness is a heart issue. It's a DNA issue. It's, it's the inside first, and that determines the outside. In other words, not, not, uh, not that you know, uh, that, that, that you don't just know Jesus or that you allow him to forgive you, but that you live like it. Now you're living like it. Just outward actions without inner heart change is, is empty. But true inner heart change will always result in a change of outward behavior. So, so our part in being holy and in, in allowing God to, uh, to change us so that we begin to see Jesus in the mirror so that his character is reflected in our lives. So when people brush up against us, they get a picture of God and who he is as, as we become holy. Our part in being holy is, is more about that submitted, loving heart turned toward Jesus. Uh, we're willing to, to do what he says, to follow his lead, to allowing him to mold us and shape us. He, uh, that, that passage in Ezekiel talked about uh, taking out their heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. Uh, in other words, it's a heart that can be molded and shaped. It's not one that's resistant to change. And, and I'm going to do what I want to do, but it's now it's, it's humble and obedient and submissive. Um, 
Of course, there are certain things that, that, that we'll do because we're holy, certain habits that, that, that we can develop uh, in order to, to, to uh, help become more and more holy. We can, we can uh, put these certain habits, there's disciplines, we've talked about that uh, in, in weeks gone by, but ultimately, uh, being holy comes from God as he fills us with his spirit. We're just open to what he wants to do in our lives. So it's not that I just really, really try hard, although I should really try hard, but it's that I'm open to what God wants to do and he fills me with his spirit. I don't know if you uh, saw my little props over here today or not, but um, anybody want to drink? I don't know if you can see that or not. I, uh, I went out back here a few days ago. It's rained a lot lately, and we have a couple. I guess, I don't know that I'd use the term cesspool, but um, I think we have a couple of them out there. And actually, I, you know, I, I scooped this up, and, and um, it's green. Aren't you noticed that? I, I can't see you through it. That's pretty scary. And, um, and there were actually things swimming in it. Um, any, nobody wants to, what would it take, uh, for you to use that glass again? Nothing, right? (laughs) It's been in the cesspool of humanity. A dishwasher, right? No, we, um, uh, somebody somewhere, this thing needs to be cleaned up, right? We need to, uh, we, we need to, uh, it's contaminated. It's, it's awful. It needs to be sterilized. It needs to, I mean, we need to, and I'm going to, after this, uh, you know, we're going to wash it up a little bit. And I'm going to put it in the cabinet just right in the middle somewhere. And you'll, you'll never know. And you'll be at the church dinner sometime. Oh, there's a potluck in a couple weeks. I don't know if we, you saw that on there, but that'll be, you'll have a chance. No. So first of all, we'd clean it up. Now I don't have a sink here, and I don't have a dishwasher, and I, so so I have um, I have its counterpart, and it's nice and clean. I'm guessing if I was to uh, to pour some some wonderful clean sparkling water uh, into into that, you would be much more willing to drink it out of this than to drink it out of this. I mean, uh, now that. I'll move this away. Now that now that we're all cleaned up through the magic of television, now that we're all cleaned up, it's uh it it's ready, right? It's been been cleaned up and and ready to be used, but now it has to be filled. Right now it's just filled with air. Uh it, we could fill it with anything, I guess. I mean, we could we could go get some diet coke or we could we could uh fill it with I don't know, you could fill it with popcorn and uh you could Fill it with M&Ms. That sounds great, right? Uh, good stuff. Um, today, we've got sparkling pure water. If, if we want to have fresh, pure water, we, we don't let this glass be filled with anything else except fresh, pure water. So we go to the pitcher, the source that has the fresh, pure water, and we pour ourselves a wonderful glass of water. Now... When someone encounters this, they get a taste of what was in the source, the original pitcher, right? And, and you know what else happens? If this, um, if this ever gets shaken a little bit or accidentally spilled, that'll dry, I think. Um, what comes out of it? It's not a trick question. Fresh, pure water, right? Oh, that's good. 
if it was filled with the contaminated water and it got shaken, not only would I not want to do that right here because I wouldn't want to clean the carpet, the contaminated stuff would come out, right? Being holy, seeing Jesus in the mirror, I think is a little bit like, maybe this will help you kind of put it all together. We come to God kind of like this. I mean, I'm not judging or anything. I'm just saying we're sinful and, uh, and wicked and dirty and we need to be cleaned up. And so we come to God and say, clean me up. And he does. And he forgives us because of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. He, he cleans us up. He forgives our sin. And, and, and he loves us enough to see us even in this state. He loves us enough to see the potential. The, somewhere underneath all that contamination is, is, is someone useful. For the kingdom of God. And so he cleans us up. If we let him, he takes our, our dirty, sinful lives and he cleans us up. Unfortunately, many people at that point go right back into the contamination of sin. They head right back to the cesspool and they get all dirty again. And then they come back to God and say, oh, God, uh, clean me up. And he does. And then uh, they go back and do it all over again and... It's not to say that God won't continue to clean you up over and over again. It's just that (laughs) there's a better way to live than that. You see, once he cleans you up, you let him fill you with his spirit. And so when people encounter you, they get a taste of him. And when life turns crazy and We experience the turbulence of life and the situations and circumstances and stress and anxiety and all the stuff that happens. What comes out isn't the nasty contamination of sin, but what comes out is the Holy Spirit because we've allowed him to fill us. And so we become useful, not because of anything we've done. All we've done is said, here I am, clean me up and fill me. The, the water isn't ours, the, 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 the holiness isn't ours, it, it's all his. But when people encounter our lives, they get a glimpse of who he is. They get, they get a taste of Jesus. Do you see Jesus in the mirror? Is his DNA being formed in you? Is his character developing in you? Or is it a constant, it doesn't have to be, I, maybe it's, it doesn't have to be a constant struggle. As we allow ourselves to be open to God and his, his spirit, he can change that heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And he can put his spirit in us so that when people encounter us, they get a taste of him. When people encounter you, they don't just encounter you, they encounter his holiness in you. Maybe you're here today and you see yourself kind of like this at this point and your prayer is, God, just clean me up. I, I've messed up and I need your grace and your forgiveness. Maybe you've done that many times and it just seems like it's over and over again. <laughs> Maybe your prayer is, God, I, I need you to fill me. I can't do this on my own, but I need your spirit to overflow in my life. So that when people encounter me, they encounter you in me. Lord, we need you. We don't need, we don't need what we can do. We need only what you can do in us. Lord, you know exactly uh, who we are better than we know ourselves. You know uh, where we've been. You know the potential that is in our lives. 
and the ways that you want to use us. And so, Lord, we just present ourselves to you today. And Lord, I pray that that this place would be a place of, of humility and obedience, openness to whatever you desire. Lord, I pray that you would do your work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.